Our scripture this morning is a short one. It is uh, one that is you probably all know. Um, it is John 3.16. For God so loved the world uh, that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him would not perish but may have eternal life. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. It's a short scripture. We have a new sermon series today, A Generous Life, and um, we are talking about generosity, and uh, this scripture captures the very uh, nature of our call to generosity. Have you ever received a gift so amazing, not just because it was expensive or, or because it was fancy, but because it came um, from maybe unexpected place, and it was just what you needed in just the right moment. Maybe you're thinking about a gift right now, maybe from a friend or a family member. I was, as I was uh, preparing this sermon, I was talking with my wife about the kind, what gifts, what gifts really stand out. And both of us, uh, one gift stood out to us. I think that uh, we can recall. So, uh, ten years ago, we were pregnant. Well, she was pregnant. I was hanging around. Uh, she was doing all the heavy lifting. Uh, but in the middle of our pregnancy with our first daughter, we found uh, Sarah had to have an emergency surgery, and she was on bed rest for five for the last five months of her surgery. Um, and she had to leave work, so she worked on the floor at Bentop, on the fifth floor at Bentop Hospital. And she had been working for three, we were married, and she'd been working there for three years. And um, she, now she's going to be on bed rest for five months, and we were trying to, you know, watch our budget. And at the time, the way it worked is she could get full paid or full salary for as long as she had PTO. But when our PTO ran out, we could get medical leave, and that would give us her partial salary. So we were trying to save up and plan for when she would be making less money. And I was a teacher and paying for seminary, so we weren't really expecting for this shift in, in finances. And we are trying to figure out how we're going to pay this. And um, Sarah, she's always on the ball when it comes to these things. So she calls her HR department towards the end when we think her PTO is about to run out. And she says, you know, I know that my PTO is going to run out. Uh, checking on making sure the medical leave thing, all the paperwork is filled out, is ready to go. And they say, oh, well, you have, you have PTO hours. You have hundreds of hours. And you're not near, near running out, right? And we... What happened? And so we, she called her boss, and it turns out her supervisor, who'd been working there for a long time, had lots of PTO hours stored up, had given Sarah some of her PTO hours. She donated, she created a bank, and when, when her coworkers found out that they could do this, they started donating, and all of a sudden, Sarah had a lot more PTO hours, and it helped us to carry on um, in a way that we weren't expecting when our, our finances were suddenly going to be shifted. And I just remember, I didn't even really receive the gift directly, it was sort of indirectly. It was given for Sarah, because she's amazing, but, I just remember feeling so blessed by that gift, feeling so cared for. When you receive a good gift, it is an amazing thing, and you feel cared for, and I bet you we all can understand the power of receiving a good gift. But today, 
I want to talk about the other side of the coin, about giving a good gift. It turns out that giving is better than receiving, or at least as good as, right? The Bible says that giving is better than receiving in Acts chapter 20. And, and um, it, it has so many positive uh, values when we give. For her floor, all the nurses that worked with her at the time, um, it was amazing to see the transformation because of their gift. They all became closer with each other, not just them and Sarah, but with each other because they gave with each other. We, as people, are made for generosity. With our core nature, we are made to be generous people. I want to talk to you today about our calling for generosity. Now, the, the, the uh, scripture that I read, that one verse, comes in the middle of a, a scene um, that we, we wouldn't expect uh, normally. When you're reading through John, we, we come across this strange scene because Jesus so often is willing to go head, toe-to-toe, uh, -to -toe, face to face with the Pharisees. But Nicodemus is a Pharisee who wants to hear more about Jesus. And he comes to Jesus at night. We're told he waits till it's dark so he can sneak up and have a private conversation with Jesus. And they begin to wrestle with what it means to be, uh, to be saved, to be born again. Jesus says that you must be born again. And as they are talking about it, Jesus drops this amazing verse, this verse that is so famous that even non-believers, even non-Christians know this verse, that God loves the world so much that he gave his only begotten son. And in that, in that passage, what Jesus hands to us is the very nature of God. So before we can talk about our own calling to generosity, we have to understand that we serve a God that is a generous God. That God's very nature is to love and to give. That we serve a God whose nature is self giving love. Um, and, and we can see this, this uh, kind of play out throughout all of Scripture. So if we got to turn back to Genesis chapter, uh, chapter 1 through 3, um, if you know, you remember the story that God creates everything, that God speaks the whole universe into existence, that stars and quasars and moons and planets and all of the vastness of space, that the earth and everything that is in it is made by God, and, and all of it is beautiful. God calls it good. I mean, it's, it's pretty cool. If I don't know if you've ever gone fishing early in the morning before the sun rises and you get to see the sun rise above the water and you know that it is good. God, if you've ever seen a mountainside or, 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 or a sunset, you know that creation is good. It is beautiful to look at. It is beautiful to enjoy. God says it's all good. But then God makes humanity in God's own image. And we get the story about the garden. And what God does is God makes humanity, and God, male and female, in his own image. And God tells them that all of this, all of this is yours. I don't remember if you know if you've ever seen The Lion King when he pulls Simba up to the top of Pride Rock and he says... He says, everything that's not in the shadows. And here's the amazing thing about the beginning. Everything was not in the shadows. There were no shadows. He says, all of this is yours. I'm giving it to you 
to enjoy. I'm giving it to you so you will have everything that you need to survive, to eat all of this food. We, we so often when we read that story, we focus on that one tree that they couldn't eat. But I want us to tell you to focus on the fact that everything else was up for game. God said, all of this is yours. God's nature is to love and to give. Self-giving love is the very heart of God. We see it at work throughout all of Scripture. Um, with the, the, the rescue of the Israelites from Egypt, um, the stories in the New Testament about the calling of the first people. God is always sort of pouring out God's heart in love and sacrifice. The same author in 1 John tells us that God is love. He says when he's trying to explain to the church who they are, he says God is love. And then he says, so we are called to love and we are called to generosity because we are made in the image of that self-giving, loving God. We are made that generous God who made the whole universe, who, who made everything and said, it's yours. We are made in the image of God. So we are in fact made to give. We're made for generosity. I don't know if about you, but that, that's sort of a revelation because um, I've often heard that we are like inherently greedy, that, we, that we're made for selfishness. But it turns out that not only does the Bible say that we're made for forgiving, we're made for generosity, but even science says that we are made for generosity. I was looking at, there's a journal, a peer-reviewed journal called uh, the Human Brain Mapping Journal. These are neuroscientists who publish in this journal. They, they do studies on the brain and they map, they use functional MRI to map the brain and to, to, to see what's going on inside of the brain when various things are happening. And one of the studies they did was on generosity. And, and in this study, part of the study, um, what they did was they, they used something called theta burst. Uh, I don't know what that is. I'm not that bright. But, but what it does is it, they um, use it in the prefrontal cortex. And it inhibits the prefrontal cortex for a time so that they can see how people gave when that was inhibited. What that means, as I was reading, trying to diagnose that, our prefrontal cortex is the part that picks up our culture and our society, all that learned information, and it's, it's the part that rationalizes. Right? It, as it develops when you get older, it's the part that you're, when your son was uh, 16 and he wanted to drive fast, but then when he's 28, as it develops, he realizes that driving fast can be dangerous. He starts to rationalize. It's the same part of the brain that my daughter uses when I tell her she needs to eat broccoli, and she begins to explain to me how really she doesn't need to eat broccoli because she ate broccoli at lunch. And technically, when we're eating pizza, aren't tomato sauce, isn't that like vegetables? You know how we reason? That part of your brain, what they did with the theta waves is it blocks that part, all that reasoning, and it lets you get back to your core nature, sort of your gut response. And what they found was when they did that, that people gave more. It literally... We are made to be generous, that our core nature, what we're, what we're programmed to be, is generous. So what they wanted to see is, was just that divide. Are we selfish people who, because of society, are made generous? Or are we generous people 
that because of society, we become more selfish. And it turns out that we're, our core identity is to be generous. We are made for generosity. Now, this is not surprise for all the Christians in the audience. We say, yeah, because God is generous and God made us just like God. God made us to reflect his generous and loving nature. So when we are selfish, we are, when, we, when we hold on to things, that, that, that impulse to think that if I have to hold on to everything, um, I have to, to keep it all to myself so that I can survive, that is actually going against our nature. We are made for generosity. This study, they, as they were doing the study, they, they realized that they were made for generosity, but, but it wasn't the only study. I, there's a book called The Paradox of Generosity. And so, so these are neuroscientists before, but the paradox of generosity is sociologists. And the sociologists did studies, they did surveys. Um, this is so, supposedly the soft scientists. They looked at all of the survey data about generosity, and what they found out was that people who practice a lifestyle of generosity, a lifestyle of being generous, were, um, had, had a higher factors on, or a higher grade on all of the factors of well-being. With that, the five factors of well-being are happiness, health, purpose in living, avoidance of depression, and desire for growth. And these five factors in the measurements all of the people who practiced generosity had, they were happier, they were healthier, they experienced a greater sense of purpose in their life, they experienced a greater sense of growth, uh, 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 the ability to grow, their desire for growth was increased. What this means, what this means, it literally means that because of their choice of generosity, now, I, 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 what I want to avoid is the idea that we should give so that we can be happy. That's not what they were saying. What they were saying is that when, you, when the people gave, because in our core nature we are called to be givers, because that's how God made us, when we walk in the way that we are made, it turns out that we are happier and healthier. It's just like... Um, my parents, they always have animals and uh, dogs, they love dogs. And when dogs eat the right way, when you give them what they're supposed to eat, they're help, ha happier and healthier. Uh, they might want the whole chocolate bar that you have, but it turns out that when you do, when you give yourself the wrong thing, you're not happier and healthier. So what, what the study is saying is literally because we are called to be givers, because we're called to generosity, that when we practice generosity, um, the, the people on the study talk, uh, explain uh, a greater sense of joy and, and a greater desire for growth. Now this is particularly important to believers because in our journey of discipleship, in our call, discipleship is this call to continually grow in the image and the likeness of God, to, to continually grow in our ability to reflect God's likeness in our character and in our heart. And our call to discipleship is genuinely affected by our generosity. Generosity is not just like a side piece. It is connected and a core part of our discipleship journey. As we grow in our faith, if we want to grow as believers, part of that journey is a call to generosity. 
The other part of this, which was really amazing, why this is so important. Again, the early church already told us this. In Acts chapter 2, the early church told us that part of the happiness that they experienced, part of the reason that they were healthier, part of their ability to, to sort of have more purpose is because it, um, when you give, when you practice generosity and community, it knits the community together. Right? That's what happened on Sarah's floor. The nurses... I'm telling you, it was amazing how they cared for each other more. She would come and tell me stories. They spent more time outside of church together. When you give, it knits you together. But we already knew this because in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, when the church first began, right, we're told that the church, in its earliest form, practiced a sort of giving where it says that there was no need among them. that It says that they shared everything in common so that there was no need among them. Now, in the, in the world of antiquity, this was actually not a common practice. What they did was rare because they shared, they gave not just the people who looked like them, who spoke just like them. That was what was common. But they gave even as a community only around this sort of identity in Christ. So that people who spoke different languages, people who looked different, Jews and Gentiles, um, barbarians and Scythians, all of these people who were different according to culture were sharing together and it became the ultimate witness to the world around them. They experienced this greater sense of joy in a world, in an uh, a empire in turmoil because of their giving. We are called to give. One of the uh, better stories, examples of this is an uh, author named A.J. Jacobs. Um, he writes these books. He, he's a, an author who, um, he was a journalist, and he likes to do these kind of crazy outlandish things where he will follow very closely a set of things like, um, he, like he, he did one about health. And he got all of these diets and he created this list of 53, well, the top 53 things that all the dietitians and health experts said to do. And for a year, he lived um, faithfully, absolutely faithfully to this 53 things, right? This is, he does these things. And one of the things that he did was a year of living biblically. Now, he is a, um, a cultural Jewish, he, culturally he's Jewish, but he's agnostic. Um, that means he doesn't believe, his parents are Jewish, but he doesn't believe, he doesn't practice his faith, right? He's not sure that there is a God. It's important to the story because he, as an experiment, he decided what would it be like to try to live what the Bible says, the Old Testament says, I want to try to live like that faithfully for a year to actually follow all of the rules and the precepts that I'm only wearing linen, I'm not mixing, uh, mixing weaves of different weaves of clothing, I'm not mixing different types of food. All of the rules in the Old Testament he followed for a year. And in the book he wrote about it, he has a section about tithing, about giving, because he wasn't a person who practiced generosity. And he, he talked about like, when he, when he decided to give 10% of his salary away, he, he and his wife, they decided, he told her, you know, the plan and he had to do this. And he said his palms were sweaty and before he clicked on the, on, started, you know, sending the money out, he talked about how nervous he would get and how weird it felt. And then he said, after he gave, after he gave, he said, it was like I felt the pleasure of God. 
And he said, I'm confused because I'm not even sure that I believe in God, but I felt like I felt the pleasure of God. It, um, he actually used the words that John, like words similar to John, what John Wesley said, because he said he felt like strangely warmed and tingled. He, he couldn't understand why, but it turns out that when he practiced giving, he started to walk in his, his core nature. I can tell him why. It's who we are made to be. We're called to be generous. Because when we practice generosity, the amazing thing happens is that it begins to pull down the walls that keep us separate. It begins to pull down the walls that keep us disconnected from God. It begins to pull down the walls that keep us disconnected from our neighbors. Remember that, that those, uh, those scientists in that study, the mapping the brain, the other part of that, uh, that thing that they did, they actually took pictures of people's brains with an MRI machine as they were practicing giving. And um, what they found was that the people who gave, people who practiced generosity had higher levels of empathy. Um, when they saw people in pain, the parts of their brain that registered empathy activated at a much higher rate for the people who were generous. When we practice generosity, it begins to tear down the false walls that we create between us and our neighbor uh, and all the sort of this anxiety that we live with because we live in a world that is constantly telling us that those are our enemies and those are our, our needs are our friends. And when we practice giving, we begin to tear down those walls and we begin to have this greater ability to see others in love. Particularly when we practice giving in community. A generous community grows closer together. A generous community has a greater sense of purpose, a, a, a greater sense of joy, a greater sense of health because we are made for generosity. I'm going to let you go with this because I don't want to hit you over the head with this too long. But I just want us to know that this is our core calling. With um, the sociologists, when they were doing their study, they, they, they looked at data from, uh, data from various religions, various cultural groups. They looked at it through anthropology studies, and they see over and over again all around the world that the, the ancient sayings is that it's this sort of this idea of it's better to give than it is to receive. That, that, that this core calling of generosity is baked into every society. South America, North America, Africa, Asia, Europe. They, they looked at the records, all, the, all of the religions, all of the world religions. They all have this sort of baked in idea of generosity, this call to be givers. So, so at the end of the day, what it means is that all of modern science, the neuroscientists, the sociologists, all of the archaeological records point to the same truth that we experience when we do it, which is that we are called to a generous life. And what they, what they determined was, it was it's not just about one big gift, but the continual practice of giving, the purposeful Week in, week out, uh, like to, to purposely give your, your, your money, your time, your energy to a cause, to a purpose, over time is what we are called to do. It's how we are made.
This is the beginning of the sermon series. The next few weeks I'm going to talk about this. And what I want us to imagine as we think about generosity, our call to generosity, if you think about all the things I said, imagine the way someone would be different if we led them in the call to be generous. Think about the transformation possible in, in this church, in this community, but also in the community around us because as we live out our calling, we benefit the world around us. This was true for the earliest church. They blessed Rome. Um, hospitals today, they, the practice of hospitals actually develops because um, Christians would, when, when plague broke out, it was the Christians who began to welcome other people and strangers to take care of them because it was better to give up your life in care of your neighbor than it was to huddle in your house protected. And what happened was people lived longer. When we live out our calling, we bless the world. And when we live out our calling, we change the world. I don't know if you've ever looked at the news and said, how can I make a difference? Why, why is the world broken in this way? And I just want to challenge you that when we live out our calling, that is the first step for the Christians to change the world around them. So let's live it out together. Amen. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Merciful God, we thank you for your call on our lives, for your love for us that you gave first and you call us to give. So God, we pray, work in our hearts the message that you have for us and, and let us walk away in the joy of your love and the, sure, and the sure hope of your salvation in Jesus' name.